Turn your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 11. Mark, chapter 11. You know, I've been here so long as pastor that I guess just about everything I preach from is a familiar passage of Scripture. <laughs> you know, it's true. And because we don't just preach on a passage of Scripture, but quite often we use those passages uh, as proof texts and other messages that are brought as well. So it's not like you hear a, hear a verse and then you never hear it again until it gets around time to preach that same message over again. But uh, this passage is one dealing with prayer. I've not dealt with prayer in a little while. And uh, since hopefully you're still praying as an encouragement to you, let me give you some, some thoughts that I believe will be a blessing, especially since those thoughts come from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Notice beginning in verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now I'll just stop there for a second. Think about that. Do you believe the Bible's true? I do. Look at what Jesus said again. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. To quote from the missionary tonight, with men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. He can do it. Jesus didn't say, have faith in your faith. He said, had faith in God. Isn't that what he said? Have faith in God. God can do it. Let's go on. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye had of aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I do beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. We tell everyone we believe the Bible. We believe the teachings of the book, the whole book, not just the words of Jesus. We believe all your promises. And sometimes, though, we don't act like it, Lord. Forgive us, and we find ourselves crying out to you, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But, Father, tonight, would you teach us some things about pray, uh, prayer and encourage us in our prayer lives. And, Father, we'll thank you for it. If you do that, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, for too many of us, our prayers basically consist of two things. Forgive, give. Lord, forgive me, now give me. And that's it. And that's what we concentrate on. As a result, we miss so much. It's become, for many, too many, a meaningless exercise that is not much different than the Catholics counting their beads. We're praying and we don't even think about what we're praying. We're just going through a list that we've either got written down on a piece of paper or 
a list that we have in our own mind from praying the same thing over and over again. Very few actually think about what they're praying. And even fewer really expect any definite answer from God. A definite answer. Can you give me some definite answers from God that you've seen? Oh, let's say in the last, let's say since COVID came. There you got a few years gone by. Definite answers from God. I remember reading the autobiography of the evangelist Charles Finney. Charles Finney was an evangelist from about 1825 to 1875. Before that, he was a lawyer who was unconverted and had started attending some church services in a city called Adams. Now, here he was, a lost man. And he attending these prayer meeting services that a church was having in the town, he was struck by the fact that their prayers were never definitely, clearly answered. Now, here's a lost man. He's paying attention to what they're praying. And he could honestly say in that time that he was attending there, he had not seen one prayer definitely answered by God. Now, he said, and this is what he writes in his autobiography, this inconsistency, the fact that they prayed so much and were not answered, was a, was a sad stumbling block to me. Here was something inexplicable to me. And it seemed at one time that it would almost drive me into skepticism. He said on one occasion they asked if uh, he did not desire for them to pray for him. And he answered this church. He said, no, because I did not see that God answered their prayers. And then he said, I suppose I, I need to be prayed for, for I am conscious that I am a sinner, but I do not see that it will do any good for you to pray for me. For you are continually asking, but you do not receive. You have been praying for a revival of religion ever since I've been in Adams. That was the name of the city. And yet you have it not. You've been praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon yourselves and yet complaining at your leanness. He said, you have prayed enough since I have attended these meetings to have prayed the devil out of the city. If there's any virtue in your prayers... But here you are praying on and on and complaining still. Now, if there was some lost person that was witness to our prayers, to your prayers, heard you pray time after time after time, if they heard your daily prayer life, what would they think about the power of you praying for them. I think this is a real challenge for us because you see, there are some tremendous prayer promises in the scripture. And a definite, clear answer to prayer should not be some novel thing or exceptional thing. And I wonder sometimes we don't pray so broadly that no one so that no one can ever check to see if we're really getting through with our prayers. Keep a prayer journal. Write things down that you are praying for, that your family's praying for. And then six months from now, see how many answers, definite answers that you get to prayer. I want to notice a couple of key points about prayer from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important. You remember when, when the disciples heard Jesus pray 
they went to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. pray. But the Lord taught about prayer a great number of times. And we're going to look at a number of verses tonight. I want you to notice, first of all, the perspective of prayer. And I basically mentioned it already in verse 22 when he said, have faith in, pardon me, have faith in God. That's where it begins. Faith must be in the right place. It's to be in God. Now, you've got a lot of these folks on TV. If you just had enough faith, no, it's where you place your faith that counts, not how great your faith is. As with George Mueller, if you've ever read the biography of George Mueller by A.T. Pearson, that'll stir your heart in the matter of a prayer life who started up orphanages in England, would never tell people about the need for his orphanages financially. Oh, they printed out a paper, but the paper only printed out answers to prayer. It never gave prayer requests because he wanted to know that God was definitely answering their prayers. Well, after George Mueller had long since died, now they had, he had over nine orphanages where he fed the people on faith just would pray. Sometimes such miraculous answers would take place. Like one time when they had absolutely no food in one, of the, in one of the orphanages that he had, he had the young people sit down at the breakfast table and he said, let's thank God for what we're about to eat. And then he prayed, thanking God. While he was thanking God, there was a knock on the door. And when he went to the door, there was a baker there who was awakened in the middle of the night and he said, I kept, I kept hearing in my mind, the baker did, bake bread for Mueller, bake bread for Mueller. And he showed up right at the time that they were praying. What a coincidence that is. Not at all. God had already been working. But you say, that doesn't make much of a breakfast. Well, a milk truck. Back then you had milk wagons and they were not electric. So they had milk that was cool in the wagon, but the wagon broke down right outside the orphanage. And the man knocked on the door after they were thanking God for the bread that had just been brought. And they went out and they looked and they saw that uh, here was a broken down milk wagon. And the driver of the truck saying, can you use this here? It's going to spoil in the wagon. Direct answers to prayer. Definite answers to prayer. When somebody went by the orphanage after Mueller had died and his son was there leading the orphanage at that time. He, uh, they said, Mueller must have been a man of great faith. He said, listen, great faith in a weak plank will dump you in the river. Little faith in a great plank will have you walking across it. It's the plank that counts, not the size of the faith. Understand, Jesus said, have faith in God. Turn over for a moment to First uh, John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And I want you to notice verses 20 and 21, 1 John chapter 3. He says, For if our heart condemneth not, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemneth not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask. Now, whatsoever is like a whosoever. Whosoever is everybody. Whatsoever is everything. And whatsoever... We ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Go over to chapter 5 and notice beginning in verse 14. 
And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Have faith in God. As a child, when I'd ask my dad for something, it was because of who he was. And I believe that he could get it for me. My faith was in him that he would provide. As a child of God, I go to my father. And my faith is to be in him. Now note about faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 declares, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, I want you to notice those last two words, diligently seek him. If you have faith in God, you will diligently seek him. Go over to the book of Luke a moment, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus, speaking on prayer, is going to give us an idea about the type of faith that pleases God. Remember, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He says in verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Think of what he said about faith. Diligently seek him. Jesus giving a lesson on how we're to pray. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. Notice, and the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect? which cry and uh, cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, isn't that something? We read that whole story. And in verse 9, he says, the very end of the verse, he says, shall they find faith, in verse 8, I'm sorry, shall he find faith, on the earth. Where did he talk about faith? In that whole passage. Tells a story, continual coming, diligently seeking him. It's where you keep asking, and you keep asking, and you keep asking. Now remember, what is what kind of what kind of diligence is that? Well, you've got to believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you believe him enough to keep seeking him, whether you really believe he's going to do it or not. If you only pray as long as you're confident that he'll do it, you're not showing much faith. Let's face it. If you don't really know that he's going to do it, but you have faith enough to keep asking him, then that's what it is, is faith to keep on asking. Now, let me just give you, show you some examples. Turn over to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, that's the passage, of course, where you've got James the Apostle being put to death by Herod. 
Peter has been thrown in prison. And the plan is to put Peter to death the very next day. Now notice how the church responds to this situation. In verse 5, it says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So they're praying to the Lord. They're not talking to Herod. They're not talking to the person that's the head of the jail. They've gone to God. And how have they gone to God? Without ceasing. That's diligently seeking him. Now, look what happens. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. <laughs> Peter thought he was still dreaming. And when they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out, passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Stop there for just a moment. The church has prayed... They prayed really the impossible, and God has answered. Now, why would he have answered that? Well, because of their continual coming, because of their diligently asking him, because, as it says back here in verse 5, prayer was made without ceasing. Now, did they really believe that God was going to get him out of prison? They prayed, God answered. Did they really believe that he would do it? Well, notice what happens. When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, now figure out this next part. She opened not the gate for gladness. He's out there knocking. You realize he's a wanted fugitive right now. They prayed that he'd get out. God's gotten him out, used an angel to do it, done the impossible. He knocks on the gate. The woman comes to the gate. The maid, she... Is so excited to see Peter, she doesn't even invite him in. She turns around, goes back into the crowd to tell him, the people who are praying. Now notice what happens. It says in verse 15, and they said unto her, thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. Now wait a second. You people were asking God to get him out. You've been praying for that. They just hear that God has answered their prayer and they say to the person that told them that Peter's out there knocking, you're crazy. Can't happen. So the question is, did they really believe God would get them out? And the answer is obviously no. 
But they had faith in God enough to keep asking anyway. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church. Because of her continual coming, the unjust judge said. That is faith where you keep asking. Even when you don't believe it's going to happen. You say, well, preacher, how do you know when to stop praying? When God tells you, stop praying. When Paul was given the thorn in the flesh, he says, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice. What was he practicing? Continual coming, diligently seeking him. That's what he was practicing. He was asking God to remove the thorn. Notice what it says. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, God has said, my grace is enough for you. God's told him basically, no. And so Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, okay. Now, I'll tell you what I personally believe. We'll get to heaven. You'll find out I was right about this. Or at least we'll agree with one another when we, get, when, I, when we get to heaven. But I believe had he kept asking anyway, he would have gotten his prayer answered and God would have been done with him. Why did he have the thorn in the flesh? To keep him from being puffed up so that God could keep using him. I'm just saying when God tells you no, quit asking. Or you may get it. Now, I have an example, by the way, of that. You go back to the Old Testament, you have King Hezekiah. He is sick unto death, the scripture says, and God tells Isaiah God's will in the matter. He tells Isaiah to go to King Hezekiah and tell him to get his house in order. He's going to die. And so Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he begins pleading with God, basically saying, haven't I been a good king? Haven't I served you? Please, Lord, let me live. And before Isaiah can get out the the palace, God says, go back and tell him I've heard his prayer. He gets 15 more years. All right, he's gotten his prayer answered. He gets to live 15 more years. And during that 15 years, he has a son by the name of Manasseh, who became the most wicked king in the entire history of Judah. Everybody would have been better off had Hezekiah died when God told him to get his house in order. Yeah, I believe you can get prayers answered that God doesn't want you to get. He had heard the will of God. That should have been enough. Paul heard the will of God, he quit asking. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We fail so much in prayer because we are thinking of ourselves when our thoughts should be on him. It's like a ball player. If you've ever played ball, you know anybody played ball a lot. They get into a batting slump And suddenly they start changing things. They'll change what socks they're wearing. You know, when they're on a hitting streak, they'll wear the same socks every game. Or they'll they'll have keep something in their pocket that is special to them. Or they'll change something about their stance. Well, God says, listen, have faith in God. Have faith in God. 
trust him. Don't change that at all. You keep seeking him. When it comes to prayer, it's not what prayer you pray. Hey, when it comes to salvation, it's not what prayer you pray. I mean, when you find people who are doubting their salvation because they don't know that they prayed the right thing, show me in the Bible what the right thing is. You don't find the prayer on the back of the tracks anywhere in the scripture. It's not there. Because it's not prayer that saves. It's Jesus who saves. We're saved by grace. By grace. We'll say by grace through faith. Is putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by which we get saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Yes, what a marvelous truth. It's not the words that we pray. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're saved. What are you trusting to take you to heaven? Have you taken Christ? Well, let's get back to this matter of prayer. Have faith in God when it comes to pray. You seek his face. Uh, Keep it simple. This doesn't have to be hard. But we, I think it would scare most of us to death if God did the miraculous and actually answered one of our really difficult prayers. This is supposed to be normal for the believer, not extraordinary. I look at the prayer promises of God, just like the ones we read about here in Mark chapter 11. I say, wow, that is amazing. What's our prayer life like? Now, I don't believe in asking God to move a mountain just for show. There ought to be a purpose of it for his honor and glory, not to show people how spiritual I am. Remember, when you pray, if you're saved, you come into the very holy of holies in heaven, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ. You come into the very throne room of God because of his blood that you are covered with. His righteousness is seen and not ours. Come boldly to talk to the Lord. The perspective of prayer, have faith in God. The perimeter of prayer, he does give some conditions here. Let's get back to the passage in Mark chapter 11. The perimeter of prayer. Remember, you have a relationship with him. For instance, over in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus gives us the model prayer, how does it begin? Heavenly Father. Father, oh, that denotes relationship. Heavenly Father, he's our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. Well, let's see. When it comes to relationship with the Father, he gives, tells us something about the relationship in Hebrews chapter 12. Notice, let's, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. That's really where I wanted you to turn to. I got a little ahead of myself. Hebrews chapter 12. It is a family relationship. I got born again. I got born into the family of God. When I trusted Christ as Savior, He adopted me. He regenerated me. I was put into His family. That which is more of the flesh is flesh. That which is more of the spirit is spirit. Verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. You have forgot the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges, scourgeth every what? Son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? How many of his sons does he chasten? He chastens all of them. If you're saved, you understand, you can't do wrong without God chastening you. He chastens all of his children. He says, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, and are ye bastards, and not sons. So he lets us know that because I'm his son, he will chasten me. He will correct me when I am wrong. I had somebody come to me one time, and they asked this question. Well, pastor, how do you know when God is chastening you? And I thought about that, and I thought, well, my dad used to chasten me. He had a favorite belt that he would use. And we would go out, literally, it wasn't a woodshed, it was a little shed that was in back of the house. And he would place me over his lap, and he would take that belt, fold it over, and then bring it down on my, the place where I sit. I, listen, if you would have ever asked me what's going on, I wouldn't have had to think about it. I knew what was going on. I knew he was chastening me. I knew he was spanking me. And you know what? I always knew why it was going on. I can't remember ever being over my dad's knee and thinking, I wonder what's happening right now. And I believe when you're chastened of the Lord, you know what's going on. He says in verse 11, he says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. This is a serious matter. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Yes, I believe when you're chastened of the Lord, you know what's going on. Deal with it. Get right about it. So what we have is a father-child relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we can come to Him and we can ask Him for things. That's what prayer is. As John R. Rice said in his very famous book, prayer is asking. Now, therefore, we have verses like James 4, 2. You have not because you what? Ask not. not. So ask Him. How much do you think we ought to ask Him for? Well, let's find out. Keep your hand here. I'm going to Oh, you don't have to keep your hand there. You're fine. Uh, Go over to uh, Philippians. Drew a blank there for a moment. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Now notice, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God. How much does God want you to pray about? Everything. He wants you to be close to him. He delights in you talking with him. And ask, you say, but he already knows what I want. Yes, he does. And he wants you to ask. Is that so hard? Or do you want to be simply one of those rich, spoiled kids that just expects their parents to give them everything that would delight them? God doesn't treat us like that. He wants us to talk to him. Now, in verse 3 of James chapter 4, he says, Ye ask and receive not 
because he asked that you may consume it upon your lust. You know, there are certain things if my children would have asked me for them, (laughs) I would have said, no, you don't need that. That's not good for you. A good parent says no to their kids once in a while when they're asking just to be selfish. For instance, let's just say that uh, in the Christian school, since I've been the head of the Christian school now for these 34 years here, and I was head of the Christian school that we had up at Temple Baptist Church in Manchester and at Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church in Tennessee Ridge, Tennessee. Let's just say my daughter comes up to me and she says, Daddy, you're such a sweet daddy. You're a wonderful daddy. Well, yes, I am. (laughs) You love me, don't you? I, I do love you, hon. Uh, I'm your favorite child in the school, aren't I? Oh, yes, by far, you are my favorite child in the school. Well, Daddy, would you let me be the first one in line going to lunch every day? Now, if I was, if I was a good parent, what would I say? No. But everything she said about me was True. I am a wonderful daddy. I like to hear that. And, you know, if I tell her no, she may not think I'm such a wonderful daddy. But because I am her daddy and I do love her, I can't answer that request because it's totally selfish. It will not help her. It will only hurt her. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. So there are some things that you will ask if you're just being selfish that God's just going to say no. No, because he loves you. Now, that's good. That's the perimeter of prayer. Um, Well, how are we to ask? We are to ask according to his will. If we ask according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we desired of him, the scripture says. Well, how will I know if something is God's will? That's why you read your Bible. So you know the things that would please him. I believe God wants to use everyone here in bringing other people to Christ. So why don't you ask him to use you to bring other people to Christ? Ask him. A lot of people just expect him to do it, but they never ask him. Why don't you ask him? He gives the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. That's found in Luke. Well, yes, so ask him. You say, but I already have the Spirit. Yes, I know, but we're talking about in power. You remember Jesus told the disciples, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, they were already indwelt by the Spirit when Jesus breathed on them on resurrection day and said, receive ye the Spirit. What was Pentecost about? Pentecost was about the first fruits of the spirit, our first fruits of the church, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. How long did they pray? Ten days. They prayed ten days. They didn't witness to anyone in those first ten days because God told them to pray. Jesus told them to pray until they were endued with power from on high. So for ten days, they're seeking God's face. And when God answered and filled them with the Holy Spirit, they went out and preached. And then 3,000 people got saved. 
We pray a 10-second prayer and expect God to bless us like he did at Pentecost, and that's not the way it works. You see, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'd say 10 days of prayer is pretty diligent. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, what's the provision of prayer? And I pointed out the verse back here in Mark chapter 11. Uh, Here it is. He says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now I know God has promised to meet our needs. That's in Philippians chapter 4. But according to Jesus... He tells us what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. He wants to meet desires as well. So we've got needs, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 and the model prayer that Jesus taught the disciples, uh, he talks about our daily bread. That's a need right there, having something daily to eat. He's taught us to pray for that. But then he also tells us to pray for our desires. Now, there are some things God says we need. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, That's more than the physical things. Godliness with contentment is a key. I would say we've all received far more than our needs. Haven't we? Having food and raiment, the Bible says, let us be there with content. Are you content? Everyone here's got clothes on. Everyone here is obviously eaten. Said godliness with contentment is great gain. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Are you content? No, we want more. We want more. Why would we want more? Well, the spiritual ones would say, so I could give more to missions. You know, that is so spiritual. God just might give it to you and see if you really would. But the reason he hasn't given it to you yet, because he knows you wouldn't. Because you start thinking, you you start thinking, hey, I'm getting pretty spiritual with this. Yes, man, would I give to missions. I'll tell you, I'd give half of it to missions. You think, well, that's pretty spiritual. So if God gave it to me, then I need to think about this a moment. Well, first of all, I got to pay taxes on whatever he's going to give me. And so I really couldn't give him half because we know the government's probably going to get half of it. So if I gave half of it to missions and I wouldn't be getting anything at all. I mean, surely God want me to spend some of that on myself. Anyway, I'm just, listen, it's amazing how many people start thinking like that. I need to get realistic on this thing because, you know, God just may give me. The amount I'm thinking of. You know, Reader's Digest sweepstakes. None of us here would play the lottery. Amen. Amen. If we did, we wouldn't tell anybody. Which means you'd probably steal from God and not tithe. And that puts you in trouble as well. All right. But the, the promise of prayer here. Uh, you, and we've got a lot of promises. Let me just go through a few of them. We're going to end in a little bit because I know you're, you're wanting to go into the fellowship. But go over to John chapter 14. I just read some of these verses and I sit there and marvel at, since I know these verses are true, how anemic my prayer life must be. 
in chapter 14. For instance, verse 12 is amazing. Now, this is not the prayer promise, but I start with verse 12 and then verse 13 and 14 really do me in. He says in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, this is Jesus talking, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Have you ever just sat and meditated on that verse? And if that verse is true, and I believe it is, then something's wrong with me. But he goes on, verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything, wow, what does that mean? I think it means anything. In my name, I will do it. Boy, do I have an anemic prayer life, according to those verses. And I do. Shame on me. So we read books like about men like Praying Hyde or George Mueller. And we say, well, that's astounding. You know, they didn't think so. They just took God at his word. Maybe it's because we have dabbled so much with the things of the world that we don't have time to spend the time with God to see God do like he did, like Jesus promised to be done. George Mueller was on a ship sailing from Quebec and um, sailing for Quebec, not from Quebec. And there was a great fog that came in. And the captain came to him and said, listen, uh, you're not going to get there by your meeting time. There's no way. The fog is just too great. We can't, we can't make it. And uh, he said, Captain, I must be in Quebec by such and such a time. I must be there. He said, in 54 years of my knowing the Lord, he says, I have never missed an appointment. Well, the captain said, it's just not possible. And so Mueller said, well, let's go to the chart room and pray about this thing. And the, and the captain said to him, Mr. Mueller, do you know how dense that fog is? And he answered, he said, no, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls the circumstances. Sir George Mueller started out, he prayed, and when he was done, He said to the captain, he says, since you don't believe that God will answer, and I believe he already has, there's no need for us to pray at all. He says, Captain, I've known my Lord for 57 years, and there has never been a single day that I failed to get an audience with the king. Get up and open the door and see what God has done. The captain got up and opened the door, and the fog was gone. Now, you read the story of George Mueller, and that was not a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. That's how he prayed. And he spent an awful lot of time in prayer. And we get up in the morning, drink our coffee, read our three or four chapters in the Bible, pray for 15 minutes, and go to work and wonder why God doesn't answer our prayer like he did George Mueller. It's because we don't pray like George Mueller prayed. 
And I'm not saying have faith in George Mueller, but have faith in the one that he put his faith in. Have faith in God. Purpose of the message tonight is to challenge your life about prayer. It can be so much more than what we are experiencing if we just decide he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And as he's told the uh, Israelites in Malachi, he says, prove me now herewith. See if it isn't so. Diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the salvation you've given us in Christ. And we thank you for these marvelous prayer promises. May we meditate upon these verses. And may we claim these verses. We believe they're true from beginning to end. The problem is not you, it is us. So God, tonight I pray you challenge some folks to get a hold of you and allow you to work in their lives. This is the key for every mission field, for every church, for every believer in a vibrant prayer life. And Lord, we'll thank you as you work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I ask it. Let's stand to our feet.